What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The old world is dying, the new world struggles to be born. Now is the time of monsters. With those words from Gramsci, I welcome you to the Time of Monsters podcast, uh, hosted by The Nation um, and available wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, now, to be a bit ghoulish and to talk about dying and being born, uh, this week um, we saw the um, uh, death of uh, Queen Elizabeth II at age venerable age of 96, and then the immediate announcement of a new king, um, which to put cards on my table is, is now my new king. Uh, I didn't vote for him, uh, but uh, Charles III uh, is now the king of uh, the United Kingdom and Canada, uh, maybe the Falkland Islands, uh, I think, uh, and a few other places. Uh, so, um, I wanted to uh, talk about that uh, with a fellow Canadian because I, th- I think we kind of uh, have the experience of living under a monarchy. Uh, so I'm very pleased to uh, have on uh, Nora Loretto of the uh, a Canadian journalist of, of uh, great talent and renown uh, and the uh, uh, co-hostess of uh, Sandy and Nora Talk Politics, uh, a really excellent uh, podcast, uh, uh, especially if you want to keep up on anything in Canada. And uh, we'll also talk a little bit about developments in Canadian politics, because there's a kind of, you know, very energetic and uh, dangerous um, uh, pop, right-wing populist that has sort of taken the leadership of the Canadian Conservative Party. But but let's start with the, the Queen uh, first. Uh, fan? Not a fan? Nora? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you stand? Uh, I don't understand why we have a royal, uh, why we have a royal family. I don't understand why we're still a constitutional monarchy. Uh, the queen herself, I have not much of an opinion on her, uh, though my mind immediately goes to the section of the criminal code where it says it is illegal to startle the queen in Canada. And I'm wondering how fast we'll need to change the language around queen, uh, to become now illegal to startle, uh, uh, King Charles III. Wow. That's the first time I've said that aloud. (laughs) 
It is it is very strange. Well, the thing is though, there have actually been arrests in the United Kingdom. Uh, there's a woman in Edinburgh who had a sign uh, saying uh, "fuck the uh, monarchy, uh, uh, it's colonial," uh, and she was arrested for that. And there was a, a man in London who was just at a you know procession yelled out uh, to uh, about Charles III, who elected him, uh, and was also arrested. So, um, uh, which, which I mean, to my mind, um, I mean, one of the arguments that people make the people who are monarchists make on it on its behalf is that it's a constitutional monarchy uh it is you know parliament is supreme but the these are figureheads who represent the head of state and they have a kind of soft power a power mm -hmm. of media and persuasion and uh, to promote national unity um but i mean i think from the shift from elizabeth ii to charles iii one sees that the sort of soft power of persuasion very quickly is turning into the hard power of like you know the armed wing of the state throwing people in jail <laughs> so, <laughs> and as you yeah. said it's illegal to startle the queen so uh, i i i don't know um now, now Maybe England, uh, the United Kingdom is a, is a good kind of place to kind of start with this, uh, to talk about the monarchy a little bit, because I was with my uh, family, uh, we had a European trip over the summer and we spent, um, you know, we went to Finland, France, Bulgaria, and the United Kingdom. And, you know, Bulgaria is a post-communist country, very poor, um, but, but in England, we spend a lot of time with my family uh, in Birmingham and Coventry, and uh, and uh, you know, um, with people who live there, and it, it is a startling how um, socially distressed uh, the United Kingdom was. I mean, that's it's a very striking thing. And my my family are all people who've done well with themselves in life, uh, but they are uh, themselves now struggling. You know, it's kind of like runaway inflation, especially with energy prices. Mm -hmm. uh, but also like a lot of like basic social amenities are like not where they should be. Like, you know, like in comparison to Europe, like, like just the public transit system is like really terrible. There is, uh, uh, you know, we're in an age of climate change and they're, um, I have not adapted and uh, they're not set for this kind of uh, heat wave that they got. And there's been an estimated like 1,200 excess deaths over mm -hmm. the summer because of this. And mm -hmm. so one had, you know, like looks at, and there was a lot of talk about strikes while we were there, including from people who were like, you know, very conventionally middle of the road people, uh, not radicals, but who are kind of saying, well, you know, they're actually uh, kind of happy the real workers are going on strike because, you know, you, you people need to be standing up and uh, there. Uh, and there's a real feeling that the government has abandoned them. And then, mm -hmm. you know, while you're there, you're reading all these articles, uh, you know, like how the, the water, you should be drinking the water because they privatize the water supply and the water is like a sewage in the water. Uh, so, 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 oh. so, so on the one hand, you know, this kind of, I wouldn't say it's Dickensian, but it's, it's reverting to a Dickensian state. Uh, you know, please, sir, may I have some more? And then on the other hand, you have this like, you know, the wealthiest family in the country, uh, huge, uh, and then, you know, is going from, you know, the queen who's a kind of dowdy, you know, like everyone's favorite grandmother type figure to Charles who's like very much uh, different. And nobody's favorite. <laughs> nobody's favorite. And my thing about Charles is, uh, there's an article in 2002 from the Guardian, um, which uh, mentioned that he has two valets uh, that are responsible for uh, squeezing out the toothpaste 
on his toothbrush. And this is a man who's never ever squeezed out like toothpaste for himself. And in fact, you know, like when he doesn't have the values around, apparently he's like baffled by them. Like, what, what do you do? He's a 73 year old man who is like, you know, trained his whole life for this one job of being king, a job he could only receive by his mother dying, which is kind of weird and creepy if you think about it. Uh, and, he, and he doesn't know how to squeeze toothpaste. And he has to have servants to squeeze toothpaste. He has servants that he drops his clothes everywhere he goes, apparently. Uh, we saw a little bit of this when he uh, was assigned the um, uh, statement of ascension in parliament. And uh, there was like stuff on the desk as he was signing mm -hmm. it. And mm -hmm. he just kind of like very haughtily waved, uh, you know, like was uh, called the servant to take everything away. So, so yeah. I mean, like, I don't want to like overdo it, but it does seem like, you know, um, a weird thing to go from you know like like this this country that has real social problems uh and now we're like uh supposed to be celebrating that this man is like ascending to kinghood uh who's like this like incredibly spoiled popinjay uh, yeah. I mean, okay i'm just i'm just like you know a, a peasant from the punjab but maybe, maybe this is not all beyond you can you like does this make any sense to you nora no, no. And, and, and actually the contrast between the era that Queen Elizabeth became queen in, like as a 25 year old, very young, uh, a very fresh face of the monarchy and, and has carried that look for, you know, carried it for 70 years and uh, is being replaced by the oldest person to ever take the throne. Someone who I mean, you know, this morning on, on Canada's national broadcaster, uh, they, 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 there was a, a segment on in, like, let's meet King Charles as if we haven't done that since he was born. I mean, this is ridiculous. Um, and so we're like the, the, the contrast between 1953 and a new fresh faced queen taking office and 2022 and a man who's not going to be king very long because he will die soon as well uh, couldn't be more stark um we have this incredible uh, uh obsession with the pageantry we pay so much money for it i mean the queen literally when she comes to canada Canada would have to build a toilet for her for every single stop because she cannot use the same toilet as someone else. <laughs> this is something that happens when they come to Canada. And we not only oblige, we happily and enthusiastically oblige, right? Like there's no critical commentary of the, of the monarchy in Canada. The only critical commentary that is allowed is if it relates to indigenous communities and their relationship with the crown. That's the only critical commentary that's allowed. And it's allowed because media can step back and say, oh, yes, this is very bad. This is something that needs to be fixed. We need to, you know, there needs to be reconciliation with the crown, right? It, it, is, it is unbelievable. And it does certainly feel like we're sliding backwards in terms of progress where uh, we do spend money on things like the pageantry surrounded, surrounding the British crown. And, uh, and, and, you know, our hospital system is collapsing, you know, like this is, this is where we are right now. And, and you can imagine the powers that be saying, well, you know, the, the people need to feel good about something. So at least give them the pageantry of the Royal family, you know, at least, at least let them see Prince, Prince Charles, King Charles III look, uh, good, uh, kind of, I guess, which I, I you can't do. It's not a pot. You cannot make the guy, the guy look good. 
So it is, it is all very interesting. And, and, and the fact that you start, I know you start your episodes with the Gramsci quote all the time. It's like the new world is struggling to be born. And the king was born 73 years ago. The new king was born 73 years ago. That is, that is several generations ago. The new world that is struggling to be born is, 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 is growing in opposition to these forces. And I think like, I, I don't know how much longer it's tenable seeing countries to become republics uh, gives me a lot of hope. But I think in Canada, we will never get rid of the king. We will never get rid of the queen because people here love it. And I don't get it. And I don't even know who loves it because I certainly can make a joke about the queen's death to every person that I pass on the street without being afraid or embarrassed or worried that I'm going to get arrested. Um, so I don't know who it is. It's it's it, like in Canada that needs us to be so uh, attached still to the, to the queen or to the king. But uh, that being said, I mean, you know, our money now all has to be reprinted. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna be having a, a man on the back of our coins again. Um, and he'll be facing the other way. Right. So, um, that, that will be a change, I guess that'll, that, that'll feel good. And, um, and I'm sure someone like Pierre Polyever, who we're going to talk about in a bit, will be trying to make sure that Bitcoin also has the, the face of the King uh, upon it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, well yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the new conservative leader in, in a second. But no, no, it is a case that there is a, I mean, Canada is a settler colonial nation. And, you know, there's definitely um, a part of Canadian history of sort of like uh, Anglo uh, uh, settlers, like really trying to make, you know, this a kind of northern cold England, uh, England with snow. And, you know, one sees, especially in places like in British Columbia, Victoria, you know, which is kind of uh, as, a, you know, like more, you, they say more Catholic than the Pope, you know, like it's, a, it's, it's more uh, uh, England, England than the Midlands. Uh, have a, you know, the, the question is how deep that all goes. Um, I mean, I think that especially in like, you know, royal visits, they are like royal visits, like, you know, they, they get a scattering, like a few hundred people, especially of Charles and Camilla, like, but not like, you know, like vast hordes are coming out for this. I, I mean, I think that in Canada, particularly, there's just, just a like insane constitutional system that basically means that it's impossible to amend. And there could be a yeah. situation where like, if the United Kingdom becomes a republic at some point in the future, like Canada would, still have a monarchy because it's impossible <laughs> to change our constitution. They've just created this incredibly jerry-rigged system. Uh, and so, so we would be the home of the, the uh, Charles. We would be the refuge. Um, uh, so, so he, He'd be forced to live in, uh, in uh, the plateau in Montreal. Yeah. Now, the other thing to say about it is, I mean, I think the, um, um, I will mention uh, the uh, Tom Nairn, a Scottish historian, uh, associated with the New Left Review, who is kind of uh, written very well on the monarchy. Uh, I recommend his book, The Enchanted Glass. And one of the points that he makes, and a lot of historians have taken this up, is that, you know, the idea that this is tradition and, you know, like um, old and, you know, the Burkean idea that this is like the all the, um, the all the generations of the past connecting to us, you know, like actually, um, you know, like with the two revolutions in the 17th century, you basically had a situation where you had like this, you know, ruling class of the rich uh, in parliament uh, who like basically got a veto power over everything, uh, could set the laws. And then also if there's a king that didn't like, they would get rid of them. So this is a so-called glorious revolution, 
you know, of 1688, which was a palace coup uh, where they replaced the unwanted Protestant James II with, uh, you know, the uh, more amenable, uh, the unwanted Catholic James uh, II with the more amenable Protestants. Um, of uh, William and Mary. Uh, and then again, in like, you know, not too long after, uh, they again switched the, uh, the kings to make sure that there was no Catholics to bring in Anne. And in the 20th century, you know, when you had the, um, uh, the crisis with Edward, uh, who you know, wanted to marry a Catholic woman and an American, uh, it, you know, again, um, uh, he was kind of like shoved off the stage. So basically, like, it's not a traditional hereditary monarchy. It is controlled by the powers of be. And, and Naren's big point is that the monarch functions for the British state. It is the way that the state is able to create an emotional attachment that goes beyond um, uh, the um, uh, uh, parliamentary representation or the idea that the people are in control. And, you know, and it's, it's an institution that adapts itself that, you know, like when uh, the middle class started to rise and uh, the sort of old uh, decadent uh, aristocrats were out of fashion, you got Victoria, you know, who was the sort of more prim and proper queen. And then, you know, mm -hmm. during times of patriotism, you get, you know, the military service played out. And Elizabeth II, to give her credit, was the queen of the media age. She was the first one with a televised coronation and, and really developed a relationship with the media, which hurt her a little bit, you know, once Princess Di came on and was a better, uh, better performer, better performer came on. It's sort of like All About Eve, uh, <laughs> the sort of classic movie. Uh, but, you know, like uh, 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 Diana, you know, as we all know, left the stage and then the queen managed to outlive all her critics. Um, but well, as Charles, I don't know how adaptable he's going to be. He's a very strange man. And I don't think people understand how strange, I mean, like, you know, uh, he, you know, like some of it, like one is sort of sympathetic with, he's more concerned with climate change than other people in the, the ruling class, but he's into sort of homeopathic medicine. Uh, but he has also this um, weird sort of mystical streak. He's interested in a European uh, um, school of thought called traditionalism. And there's videos of him talking about this, about uh, uh, this fellow named René Guérin. Um, and Guérin and other European traditionalists argue that there is a kind of meta-religion uh, that is shared by humanity and they give it the name traditionalism, but it subsumes Hinduism, Christianity, Islam, and it is the faith of humanity. And against it is modernity. And modernity is a kind of you know, secular way of thinking. Uh, it's new and it's bad. And mm -hmm. that you know, one has to, and there, I mean, I will link to them when I uh, post this video, but there are videos of Charles talking about this. Now, okay, um, you know, like, I don't know. Uh, this means that Charles has a more ambition than a lot of other previous monarchs, than certainly his mother. Uh, he wants to be known as the defender of all faiths rather than defender of faith, which is like, I, I don't know, if you're a Sikh or a Muslim, are you gonna like want Charles as the head of your like faith? I don't know. Uh, and he's, I think, more willing to be involved. He has more, you know, 
political opinions and is more. Um, so I think that one of the first announcements they made was he's going to tour the country to like uh, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland with uh, the new British Prime Minister Liz Truss in tow. And I'm thinking like that's not good. That's not good. It's a much more political act than you know, like yeah. you know, like the Queen kind of got involved with politics, especially behind the scenes. Especially like in sort of Australia in the 70s to put the kibosh on a left-wing government, but always like, you know, is a type of person that, you know, doesn't show her hands, you know, works like uh, covertly. Charles mm -hmm. is like kind of more up in front there. And I honestly think there's going to be a real constitutional crisis over Charles' impulse to become involved with politics. Well, that'll be exciting, at least <laughs> from a from an observation perspective. Um <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so that's just a thought. Well, I, I think it, it's it's possible. I mean, his reign is going to be a flash. Like he's not going to reign until he's 96. I don't imagine. I think he'll probably die before then. Um, and even if he did, that's only going to be a 20, you know, 23 year reign. Yeah. And his son, William, is quite different, who's, of course, the next in line for the throne. And so how Charles sets all of this up will be very, very fascinating. I mean, he's not a likable man. He's not he, he, he doesn't say the right thing at all. Um, the, 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 the Royal watcher this morning on CBC was making a big point about how he's already, he's the first King to, 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 to speak to media, like the way that he did after he was cor uh, coronated, which was like, yeah, but he's also the first King of mass media. I mean, like, what the hell are you talking about? Think like we're in such a different era that it's, it's, it's very hard to know how all of this will play out. And, you know, they also made the point that that they're focusing on Scotland, that they're in Scotland, they're in Edinburgh. It's a it's a location that will be having a, a vote to leave the United Kingdom um, where sovereignty is is increasingly popular. And so there's not not much question in my mind that they'll be figuring that they'll be trying to figure out a way to use the 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 palace as some sort of PR tool to try and make sure that referendum is not successful. Um and then I think back to Canada, you know, the, the the only thing that the royal family serves is to remind everyone in this country of the of Anglo hegemony, of our Anglo roots, of our of our loyalty to, to the mother country. And uh, and and whenever that gets hearkened in this country, it's always bad. It's never done for a good reason. It's never done to, you know, call for unity of diversity and respecting other people who you never met before and all this stuff. It's always this old settler stock, we came from England kind of mentality. And my family comes from that. I mean, my family was given a farm in the 1800s, like in the way that so many Anglo families were. And, um, and I, and a lot of that replaces the fact that it has no culture, like that the food is terrible and that there's really no common culture other than you listen to the queen's, you know, address on Christmas day. And I, I, that I think is where I'm, I'm most concerned because I think that uh, Charles will have a different look. I mean, it's a different, it's very different to have him there instead of this benign grandmother figure. And I don't know how that's going to play out. It certainly comes across, across very strange to see like grown men saying, God save the King. And they're talking about Charles, right? I mean, at least with Elizabeth, you're like, okay, she like, yeah, like she's got corgis. She seems okay, I guess is the, is the line, but it's just not believable. Like, I, I, I can't imagine anyone actually wants God to save Charles, right? Maybe they mean God save us uh, from him. Uh, but but no, of course, because the people that really do believe in the monarchy do want to respect those traditions and those, um, the, like everything that really is bad that comes from it. And then, of course, underneath all of this 
is that we have a non-functional democracy in this country that's getting worse, where disenfranchisement is growing. I, I don't mean formal legal disenfranchisement, but the people are not voting. Uh, and, and, and why would they? Because there's the options are all the same and they're not getting what they need and blah, blah, blah. And the conditions are, are perfect for uh, new kinds of political formations to, to arise, whether inside of formal parties or outside of formal parties. And we're seeing I mean, we're seeing the death of some seriously important political establishments in different parts of this country. Notably, I'm in Quebec, where we're in an election right now, and the two traditional parties are about to like fall off a cliff in this election. And uh, and then we also have uh, under Elizabeth's reign, 70 years of uh, broken treaties of, of of the crown not not upholding its responsibility with those treaties of uh, the 60s scoop of the millennial scoop of ongoing colonization that has that has never stopped that's continuing to cost people's lives and um and rallying behind uh, God save uh, the king is is all to obscure that is all to hide that um the the moment there's a moment to talk about the stuff that didn't exist uh you know two weeks ago because Elizabeth was still alive uh, I don't think that the moment's going to give anything. But I do think that it'll be much easier to demonize the crown with Charles there. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Although much easier to demonize, but I mean, it is interesting that there, um, uh, and I think this brings us to the second part of our conversation that we wanted to talk about. You know, there's a new uh, leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And at the convention where he was like nominated, they had a saxophone like bleeding out uh, God Save the King. Uh, and I, th- I do think that like the, conser- I mean, it is a traditional conservative thing to be monarchist, but I don't think it was ever like, yeah. you know, like in the last few decades, it's not been something that they've played up necessarily, uh, especially with their desire to like, you know, have a success in Quebec. Uh, but do you want to uh, talk about that, about who, who the new leader is and why um, uh, uh, an embrace of monarchy might be one of the things that he pursues? Oh, he will absolutely pursue it. And and even pundits the night of the of the um of the vote, we're talking about how the Queen's death has has created a somber uh night for this decision. And it's like, what? Why? What are you talking? No one in that room actually cares about the Queen's death. I mean, maybe 10 people. Like conservatives use this cynically, mostly with the exception, I think, of Pierre Polyever. I do think that this guy is uh dedicated to the Queen. And I do think that when he um, is is over the top in his uh, uh, remarks about the queen that he's actually being honest. This is a guy who um, had the career tra- trajectory of being a tiny Tory on on a university campus, the University of Calgary, uh, going right to a riding that was the, a solid conservative riding that he could hold for as long as he wanted. Became a very young member of Parliament, 
um, and has been there for 20 years. Now the guy's in his early forties. He's been elected for 20, 20 years. He's, he's had a government pension, I think since the age of 32, um, which in Canada, if you serve six years as a federal member, you get a lifelong pension. And, um, and he's been auditioning for this role since he could wear his father's suits. Like this is someone who is, 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 is like to his core ideologically driven, uh, through conservative values, but, but that's not exactly right. It's more like the, it's more libertarian values. Like there's not much of the traditionalist conservatism that you would imagine that would be there. He's, he's, he's actually quite radical in his desire to break with certain level elements of tradition within that party. And, um, if we're looking at those, the political tendencies, like he's certainly closer to where Stephen Harper was the former prime minister of Canada. He was a member of his caucus. He was, uh, mentored directly by Stephen, by Stephen Harper. And, and he saw very astutely during the trucker convoy, a place where he could use that to shiv Aaron O'Toole, who had been at that point, the leader of the party. Yeah, no, no the, 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 I mean, it is very interesting that he does come from a more libertarian kind of wing and is is sort of like taking advantage of, you know, coming out of uh, living as we are in the COVID era, the kind of anti-systems politics, distrust of experts, um, uh, this kind of right-wing populism. He's sort of very successfully exploited that. Um, and I mean, it is interesting that that um, desire to disrupt everything is tied in with him being a monarchist and, you know, like playing <laughs> God save the king uh, at the conservative convention. But I mean, I mean, in some ways, you know, I, I, I mean, uh, one way to maybe think about this or theorize it is, is to go back to Tom Nairn, where like, you know, thinking about how the, the monarchy compensates for other things that aren't there in the state, that if you have a state that is like running a very, you know, Thatcherite business-like fashion, you then need, um, uh, all the more extravagantly some sort of emotional attachment to give people uh, a stake in it. And it's not, I think, um, uh, for older listeners will remember that it was exactly the era of Thatcher that was also the era of the so-called fairy tale wedding of mm. Charles and Diana, where there's a kind of like over the topness of like, you know, like, like let's pretend we're in, living in a real life Disneyland, you know, while Thatcher is like, you know, s destroying the welfare state and, and letting like, you know, unchecked capital take control. Like it, it is interesting how these two tendencies, you know, they go hand in hand. Um, um, now I want to say something about uh, 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 Pierre Paul Ever, which is that I think uh, he's actually very dangerous. I think that in Canada, um, uh, you know, the liberals have been in power for like, you know, the better part of a decade. Um, they're kind of like an exhausted government. Uh, and beyond that, I don't know that there's a lot of like problems that are sort of building up. You know, you mentioned, you know, our healthcare system is falling apart thanks to inadequate COVID response. Uh, you know, like housing prices are through the roof. Uh, a lot of young people in their 20s and 30s and 40s, you know, can't even, not even young anymore, have trouble, real trouble forming families. And because, uh, you know, they can't just buy housing, you know, like it's a, there's a lot of problems, social problems that are adding up. And, you know, like you and I might disagree with his remedies, but he can put himself as the alternative to a very unhappy status quo. Oh, that's, he's absolutely doing that. He's banking on, on being able to do that. And the moment is absolutely perfect for someone like Polly Ever because his ideological prescription for these problems um, will make them worse. 
but he can talk as if they will make them better. And there's no critical left-wing response to that. You know, you've got the NDP, which is the left-wing party that has formed an official alliance with the liberals to keep them in power because liberals have a minority government. And they are incapable of articulating why Polyever is wrong or dangerous because all they have is saying that he's a liar, which he is a liar, but that's not, that's not a political argument that's going to res- resonate with people. You actually have to reformulate the issues and come up with solutions that people can look at and say, oh, that makes total sense. I, you know, I, I agree with you. And the NDP is just incapable of doing that, completely incapable of doing that. And so when you have like an incapacity to do this from the center and the, and the center left in Canada, it's a wide open space for Polly ever to, to, to just walk in. So, you know, thinking about his speech on uh, Saturday night, his speech was full of traps for journalists to fall into and journalists eagerly ran in and grabbed the cheese and started eating it. And then we're just like, oh, this is so comfortable. The, the, the thing's coming down my neck and now I'm stuck here forever. So, you know, his speech started off by his wife, who's uh, an, a, a, from an immigrant family from Venezuela. Um, and her speech was very, very effective, very focused on the working class. And then he comes in, um, he mentions as you, you mentioned the affordability crisis and inflation and thing, things that people are really deeply struggling with. And then he peppered them in with things that are like very, very far right wing, like, you know, uh, referencing uh, vaccine mandates as if the mandates uh, are government imposed in most cases, the workplace empo- uh, or employer imposed. Um, and in French, he took aim at uh, the uh, at, uh, woke governments, as, as he called it. Uh, the word woke uh, obviously exists in English, but in French, in, in French Canada, it's taken on a very specific meaning, which is to kind of like attack like the PC, like you want to be anti uh, um, uh, <laughs> Whatever that is, I want to say progressive conservative because I'm such a Canadian, but politically correct, yeah. <laughs> the anti-PC sentiment. Um, and in French, he was like, we we will we we will uh, refuse to be a woke government. And then he's also like making a point to say that his child, his children will be not only trilingual, but their English, English will be their third language. He's saying this proudly. He, he, he said he spoke in Spanish. He talked about, um, about how much he loves being at his wife's family gatherings where he's the only person that doesn't speak Spanish. And they're all kind of like, you know, ribbing him for not really understanding what's going on. Like it was so folksy and so relatable, I think, to so many people in this country, um, that, that, you know, as I said, he's been auditioning for this for 20 years and he's not an idiot. And so he's figured out exactly those kinds of little breadcrumbs to leave into in a, in a rhetorical speech like that and then that's gotten the you know media to just focus on oh will he change will he change his tone will he go to the center will he soften himself how will he unite the party like as if at 68 percent on the first ballot he has not already united the, the party um and so this is very very concerning because without a left-wing response to any of these issues without a left-wing corollary uh in the, at the partisan level like you know Jagmeet Singh does not have the same grasp on being average like as much as he tries he he's he always comes across as being a little too rehearsed or someone else wrote that line it didn't come off like or when he is off the cuff he's he's nice but he's not saying anything of, of political substance and that is that's it that's a massive crisis it's a massive crisis because Polly ever is going to uh he's going to mop the floor with the other two parties if uh given the current circumstances now that being said there is no threat of an election until 2025. 
So we still also have two years where there really isn't a threat of election because Jagmeet Singh has given his support to the liberal government. And there's nothing that's going to break that support because if, if anything that New Democrats, New Democrats take nothing more than having to go to elections. And so the fact that they've managed to get out of that for two years, um, you know, behind closed doors, they're, they're secretly quite pleased with themselves, I'm sure. Yeah, no, no, I, I think that's uh, 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 all to the uh, right. And I want to emphasize that he has mastered this right wing um, element of dog whistles of like, you know, mm -hmm. like throwing um, enough uh, little sound bites that can be heard by people who are anti-vaxxers, say, yep. or people who are afraid of the new world order, more conspiratorial things, but that not being his main message. His main message is a kind of um, very appealing center right with actual like, you know, like overtures towards working class uh, support with bringing up economic issues. And that could have very broad popular appeal. Um, and then also realizing that they're like these more hardcore conservatives and you need to throw them uh, things. And again, the monarchy might be part of that. Like the monarchy is a way of like, um, is a Canadian, if you're a Canadian politician asserting, you know, like uh, toasting the king is a is a way of like um, reasserting Anglo dominance or reasserting Absolutely. the idea that this is like, you know, uh, uh, there's a, a hierarchy of cultures in Canada and Anglo culture is, is the dominant one. Um, it's such a very um, um, a powerful and uh, uh, thing. I, I want to also mention that maybe in terms of like the monarchy, um, there's a, the queen, I think people always say she's a symbol, a figurehead. And I think that's right. But I think the important thing to realize is that symbols are multivalent. They, they mean many different things to many different people. And so I think there's a lot of like very ordinary people, certainly the United Kingdom and also I think in Canada and elsewhere who are like, well, you know, she's a symbol of service and duty. And, you know, she's someone who's yep. devoted her life to the country and to her family. And, you know, these are all very warm sentiments that one can, you know, you could unpack them and question the sort of patriarchy or whatever, but, 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 but they, they have this kind of like broad appeal. But then to other people, um, you know, like in Ireland, you know, like the football fans were singing, you know, Lizzie's in the box, uh, Lizzie's in a box. And uh, because she's a symbol of, you know, like uh, the oppression and not just in Ireland, but, you know, in Africa and Asia, uh, you know, there's uh, um, one, um, one saw a lot of kind of descent from uh, people who saw her as a symbol of something else. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting and emergent, I think, is that there's people on the hard right who see her who see the agree that she's a symbol of empire but think it's great like Tucker yeah. did a whole spiel about how the British empire was the best thing ever and it was great uh and then I think another sort of uh uh lower minion on the right-wing hierarchy Charlie Kirk said something very similar but but there's a way in which that for for you know I wouldn't say this is all of the queen supporters but there's an a component of uh support um for the queen. And it's interesting that one sees it in America, which is coming from people who are basically racist, who see her as a symbol of white supremacy. And I think that's something that uh, uh, for Pierre uh, uh, Polyever is something that's very exploitable. That one, you know, one can have this polyvalent symbol that could both mean, you know, the comfortableness of the monarchy and the, mm -hmm. the king or queen's annual Christmas message. And then, but also like for other people mean something very much worse and much more dangerous oh totally i mean you know like, like 
Justin Trudeau is going to be saying these same things too, right? He, as the, as the prime minister of Canada, he's going to be just as, um, as into honoring the King as Polly ever is. What, what makes Polly ever different is that, you know, we're, we're talking about a leadership race where he doesn't have to say these things. And these are the, like, it, God save the Kings being said by Trudeau is going to make me cringe. God save the King by, by Polly ever is a dog whistle. Like that's where things are so interesting in this country. As you say, that these symbols mean different things. Now he only needs, Polly ever only needs 24% of Canadians to vote for him in the next election. Like that, that's, that's the rock solid support that the conservatives already have. And usually what we're talking about to give an election to one party or the other is like a tier of maybe 10% of votes that might go one way or the other to then shift it. Because there's also, I mean, the liberals also have a rock hard support of, of maybe 24 or 23% in Canada, but our voting system is so messed up that that's all they need. And so, um, is is broad scale support for this Anglo hegemonic force like the like the royal family? Uh, does it surpass twenty four percent in Canada? Of course, because there's a lot of liberals that would say that they support that too. That they would lean more into the figurehead language or pop culture symbol, as I heard some American news uh, cha um, channels talking about the Queen, than uh, the empire or the role of empire and identity in Canada. But it, you know, it, it is it is deeply Canadian to feel like you need to honor or to feel like you should honor the 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 the, the head of state of or our head of state the, the the king or the queen of england and um and because all and i mean and, and the ndp is going to say the same thing i mean jagmeet singh wasn't saying like death to the queen at all like he was you know very much honoring her her life too so that's the mainstream and so polyander cannot lose in this because the fringe of people who, as you say, are, are seeing her as a symbol of something else and something more nefarious uh, are just part of the crowd of, of a broader support. And then what does that mean when we're talking about decolonial uh, policies in this country? I mean, that, that's where things get very, very bad because uh, because all of the parties rely on this on this nostalgia because it is actually part of Canadian identity, which is necessary to help govern, blah, 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 unite people from across Canada with the exception of Quebec. Uh, but because it is so widespread, it is very easy for, for Polly ever to exploit. Um, and so I, I am very curious to see how this is going to play in Quebec. Uh, while that 24% um, is pretty much rock solid, you still need to win ridings. And the Conservatives have a hell of a time trying to get government in this country without Quebec. And they haven't had Quebec since earlier in the, in the Harper years. The modern Conservative Party has not figured out how to crack Quebec. And some of the, the ways that we're seeing that change is a guy like Paul Ever, who has a queer father who voted against uh, gay marriage in Canada and refused to attend his father's wedding, was named as one of his family members, his father and his father's partner, on Saturday night by Paul Ever. Very interesting uh, to, to to make sure that uh, uh, gay marriage or queer identity is uh, is being spoken of, not as being something to to to, to denigrate. Um, and and we've already spoken about the language uh, part. But the other thing that is really interesting and concerning is him being being saying he's pro-choice, as if like none of us have any memory. Like this is not a pro-choice guy. But again, like it, this is all trying to play, I think, to Quebec. So you've got all of the traditional monarchist blah, blah, blah for the rest of Canada. And then uh, he can play to Quebec by saying, I'm pro-choice. I'm, I'm not homophobic, uh, but also I'm not woke. And, 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 and hopefully with the work that the Conservative Party of Quebec has been doing, that will deliver him enough votes. Time will tell if that's going to be a, a winning strategy. I don't think it's going to work because I think Quebecers... Uh, I, I think the beliefs are a little bit deeper than that, 
But a lot of it depends on how the provincial election goes and how successful the provincial wing of the federal of the Conservative Party, which is new and radical, um, how well they do in this election. Yeah, no, I mean, it's so interesting the way he's repositioning himself. And then, I mean, like to take those social issues off the table, the way he's doing, um, uh, I mean, that's been the big handicap of the conservatives. I mean, like the anti-abortion position and the anti-gay uh, marriage position aren't popular. Um, it, it is such a deep part of Canadian history. And maybe I'll just close this out, like, because I'm reminded of um, uh, an old friend I had who is no longer, longer with us, Scott Simons, who is um, a Canadian author, um, the, a very curious figure and I think very um, uh, Canadian and gets to a lot of these ambiguities. Uh, he came from a um, very old stock family, went to Upper Canada College, uh, uh, the, um, uh, and was like immediately headed off into the elite led, um, uh, but he was um, gay and, uh, 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 but married at the time to another member of the elite. Uh, and he wrote the first kind of very explicitly gay novel in Canadian history in the 1960s. Uh, and then um, uh, uh, ran off with his lover, who was the the son of the head of the uh, Royal Bank, uh, and this caused uh, Pierre Trudeau uh, to uh, send um, the uh, uh, they had run off to Mexico, and Pierre Trudeau was the prime minister at the time. Called the Mexican government, they had the federales chase these two and to bring the poor wayward boy uh, uh, back to Canada. Uh, the fellow I'm talking about is Scott Simons, uh, and the curious thing about Scott is like you know he had this wild, uh, very important sort of Canadian gay history for his outspokenness. And his, but he's also a kind of cultural Tory uh, because of his background. Mm. Uh, he wrote a book called Heritage about um, 19th century Ontario furniture. Uh, and uh, and uh, he was very much a monarchist as well. And I remember mm. the story about Scott meeting the Queen Mother uh, and saying, and uh, she had uh, been told that his family came over to Canada um, uh, centuries uh, ago. And he said, yes, two centuries ago, ma'am, from the 13 colonies, as loyalists to your crown, he said, uh, we are, you're still loyal to your crown, ma'am. We are your majesty's royal subjects, uh, mm -hmm. loyal subjects. Uh, and so, so for me, like uh, Scott, um, uh, embodied uh, a, a very curious character, but embodied a lot of these sort of Canadian contradictions uh, yeah. and the way in which uh, the monarchy was uh, meant a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Well, and that like the, the, the loyalist mentality is very, very strong still. And we don't ever talk about this in Canada. Like yeah. the United Empire loyalists is something that's just kind of in, in, in the history or whatever. And, you know, I was, I was in, I was in your city not that long ago and looking to see what what's memorialized around the big lake that you have downtown. And one of the memorials is to the United Empire Loyalists. And I was like, the hell, they weren't out here. Oh, but they <laughs> immigrated from Ontario yeah, to yeah. settle Regina, right? Like just ridiculous. And I'm, I'm from a, a town that is very much United Empire Loyalists. Like the, the people who came from the United States to settle Canada, the, the first wave of, of Anglo, Anglo settlement as a, as a thank you for their loyalty to the British crown, that they they formed the first bourgeoisie in Canada like yes. that this is the, our roots are not that far away from there 
and it goes straight up to the top of, of, of how, how we're organized, how we're oriented and, 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 and who, who's considered credible in this country and who's not considered credible. And, um, and we dance around these issues. We talk about them more in terms of, 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 you know, diversity or racism, like we need to fight this or change this or whatever, but it's like, no, this was the structure of the society that was built. This is like, there's a reason why Ontario uh, with the, with the most diversity in the in the world, Toronto is so waspy. Like, how do you have a diverse city of wasps? It's impossible. Uh, but but it's it goes back to the the very the very origins of 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 this place. And and you see that of course in every part of Canada, very very connected to the settler origins to, and how the mainstream society is, has grown or whatever. Um, and so yeah, Polly ever as as much as he's a strange beast, as you point out, he he he's also very much. Uh, a temperature gauge. He's a temperature gauge for where society is, where modern conservatism is, where and how they think they need to win, and who they're willing to flirt with to win. And this is again where things get dangerous because we know that they're willing to flirt with people who are, who are if not far right, then like full blown fascists. And uh, and they're very smart about how they do it, and they do it in such a way that will have the the, the national national journalists like softening that image or saying no, that's not exactly what's happening, or oh, I don't. I don't know why Pierre Pauly ever won't denounce this, this, this neo-Nazi who came to his rally. Like, why wouldn't he do that? It's like, what do you mean? Why would, why would he do that? Why would he do that? He's not going to do that. So, um, you know, it's a very bad combination of someone who knows what he's doing being covered and pushed uh, by a lot of people who don't know, don't know what he's doing and don't get what he's doing and have no idea how to name what he's doing and certainly no capacity to, fundamentally push back against what he's doing yeah no I, exactly yeah you know it's, it's a pretty dire situation but <laughs> i think uh maybe on that note uh uh we'll, we'll just leave it there uh, there's a, a the, the new world is still struggling to be born uh so, <laughs> thank you nara uh it, it's been as always great talking to you thank you when you visit arizona time is measured in moments not minutes like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.